Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brownies Behind Enemy Lines, the podcast, a podcast by two friends closer to Pittsburgh than we are to Cleveland. And with that, let's get started with the show. All right, we are live. Uh, Matt, how you been, man? It's been a while. I know. It's good to see you and hear you. Man, yeah, I'm uh, pumped, up, pumped to talk draft, Zachy. Yeah, but uh, so in this episode, uh, we're going to sort of take our sort of quick run through through the draft and uh, any undrafted free agents that the Browns have signed. Um, a little uh, content update. Um, we're looking at, we originally planning to do an episode a week, but we've decided with the offseason and it being a little bit of a lull that we're going to switch to an every other week uh, thing. And we're looking to have some more guests on in the future and just sort of uh, get the content ball rolling. But for now on, it's going to be every other week, which makes a lot more sense in our schedules just because uh, let's dive into the Browns 2020 draft. Before we even get into any of the players, Matt, if you had to give this a letter grade of A through F, what grade would you give it? I'd give it an A, an absolute, maybe even an A plus. Oh, all right. Um, I right now, because I'm always the pessimist, you know me with the draft, like we got a lot of guys I really, really like, but I'm going to give it a B plus right now just because I think it has potential to be a great draft. I think right now it's a good draft. Okay. Yeah, so I'm taking it with a little bit of grain of salt just because of the way the things are in the world right now uh, with them not being able to be in for rookie training camp or rookie mini camp and spring OTAs and stuff like that. So I'm sort of grain of salting it just because of it might take them a little bit longer to get the ball rolling than it would a typical uh, offseason. And I guess uh, my A would be sometimes the Browns have not addressed glaring needs. And I just feel like this draft addressed our glaring needs and it gave us solid depth where we didn't have depth before. So I feel like uh, the A rating is two things. One is the quality that we got. And then two would be that we really address needs with, with this draft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, there's there's a lot to be really happy with in this draft. Um, and by me giving them a B plus, I by no means want to say that, like, I think this was a poor draft because I think it was really, really, really strong. Um, I just, you know me, I'm kind of a pessimist in regards to some of this stuff. Um, I always try to be optimistic, but, you know, just because of, I mean, if like I said earlier, if you look at the off season that we typically would have, you know, with a rookie head coach, we would get spring OTAs a little bit early. We would have an extra week for those. We would have rookie mini camp. We would have the rookie symposium. There would be all this stuff to start bringing those rookies together. So I just sort of wonder how quickly they're going to be able to adjust to the NFL. I mean, those big school guys, like like the guys from LSU or Alabama, they're going to have a little bit less of a jump because the competition level is so high. But I feel like for some of those smaller school guys or some of those Pac-12 guys, it might be a little bit different. Well, and I and I think that you could argue that the only two guys we're looking at to start would be Wills and Delpit, which they might be the most ready to start. Yeah, they very they very well may be. I mean, so let's uh yep. let's jump right into our first uh, um overall yes. or our first pick, uh my guy Jedrick Wills. Um, now mm-hmm. I say my guy, uh, he became my guy after we picked him because I'm an unbelievable homer. Um, but Jedrick, for me, was the best all-around tackle in this you draft. Him. You liked him from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was the all-around best tackle. Now, I wasn't sure whether he would be the best left tackle because he played right tackle in college, right? Uh, but 
as we've both pointed out, playing right tackle for Tua Tugavaloa is pretty much the same as playing left tackle because you're still blocking that quarterback's blind side, and it's just as important. Absolutely. Um, um, Saban said he could make the jump. I like that. And uh, he was called the alpha male on the offensive line. Like he was the leader and the strong leader of that group. So with Jedrick, I have a little bit of stuff from his uh, draft guide. Um, Dane Brugler that writes for The Athletic, if our listeners, if anybody that listens to us doesn't subscribe to The Athletic, it's worth it just for Dane Brugler's draft guide, in my opinion. Um, he had some awesome stuff on Jedrick. Um, Jedrick's 6'4", uh, 312. He was a junior when he came out. Um, the thing that I like was that he's very athletic. He played uh, basketball all the way through high school until his sophomore yeah. year. Um and so he pretty much did basketball and football, and he was pretty athletic. He was a four-star recruit out of high school. Um, and Alabama ended up getting him, even though he uh, lived closer to the Kentucky campus, hmm. which is interesting. I um, love that he ran that five-flat 40 at the combine. Yeah, the, the five – I have I, I have him at a 5.05, which is pretty great. Um, he didn't He didn't actually get a three-cone time. He had five failed attempts. I didn't actually watch the lineman this year, so I'm not entirely sure mm-hmm. uh, what happened there. I've got that um, he played uh, for Alabama for three seasons. Uh, for He played in 11 games his freshman year, uh, 15 games his sophomore year, and then 13 games his junior year. And uh, all of those, except his freshman year, he started all the games he played in. Um, mm-hmm. And his last year in college, he was a second-team All-American, first-team All-SEC, which is pretty great. Um, one thing that really hyped me up, Matt, and you know how big of a homer I am for Joe Thomas. Um, Joe Thomas had him as his best offensive tackle and like the best fit. He had him and I think Becton were like 1A and 1B in regards of what he was ranking, which is pretty great. Um, I love that, yeah. If anybody knows left tackle in the NFL, it's Joe Thomas. Um, things that, you know, at least are concerned to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry if I'm talking too much, but I no, love linemen. You're, you're um, doing great. I was going to say, I love the linemen talk. Uh, but basically, he was a right tackle, and so you're going to have to switch to the left side. And you know as much as I do in athletics, it's a lot about muscle memory and how you get off the ball and how you pass set on the right side is a little bit different from how you pass set to the left side. Like, for, like for me, when I played, I, I played right tackle mostly. And so like anytime I had to play left tackle or teach a left tackle pass set, it was a little bit different because right. you're, you're stepping with a different foot, you're twitching differently, you're – like all of that little like pre-snap stuff that you can do to make yourself really successful, um, it's all muscle memory. But now the one thing that I will say that was reassuring about Jedrick mm-hmm. is um, his trainer before the draft exclusively had him taking left tackle pass sets. So he's been working on this well before the draft. Um, now, if you ever – and anybody who's ever been early for a Browns game, you and I know – you watch Joe all the time with his kickback move. He would practice that endlessly before game. He might, he probably did a hundred reps, I bet, before oh, absolutely of that move. So he's he's seen Jedrick work that 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 uh, patented left tackle kickback move that you got to get down, and he's he likes his footwork. So that says something right there. Right. And the one thing I really like about Joe is that Joe came out and said, hey, you know, if you need somebody to mentor you during all of this insanity, let me know. He's like, even if it's just, you know, filming your pass set and texting it to me, I'll, I'll help critique it and help make you better, which, you know, nice. 
blows me away because like Joe has been like the guy for Cleveland for a long time. And saying that means that he really, really cares about the future of the team. And I'm honestly surprised he hasn't gotten into coaching yet. I felt like he would. Um, well, and he also has a reputation for – he's not just prone to a, a hyperbole, even though he does his, his podcast and all. You know, when the Browns have had these possible candidates at left tackle before, he hasn't shied away from coming out and saying, I don't think that guy's going to work. Well, do you remember when Ray Farmer was our GM? Um, right. He took he took film to Joe Thomas and said, "Hey, can you watch these uh, five guys and tell me what you think of them?" And Joe watched the film and he said, "Man, these guys are all terrible." And Ray Farmer goes, "Well, four of those guys are going to be top ten picks." <laughs> and so it was like, you know that that showed me that at least maybe at that point in his career, maybe Joe didn't know what to look for in other people. Um, right. But it also could mean, uh, I mean, if you remember that Ray Farmer draft, there weren't that many good linemen in that draft. So, I mean, maybe yeah. Joe was right. Yeah. But um, with Jedrick, back to him, because I could talk all day about Joe Thomas. Um, he was a phenomenal run blocker. I mean, his run sets were outstanding. He would maul people, um, which I think is going to work really, really, really well in um, our wide zone run scheme that we're going to be running under. Uh, uh huh. Coach Kevsky. Uh, but I think but it's going to be really Lake, interesting. Yeah, it's but Tony really- said this week he's pumped to get back to that that's that style scheme. Set. Yeah, Batonio was on a. He was talking to the interview. He, was, he actually Batonio's interview was really outstanding. Uh, if any of our listeners are you know diehard Browns fans and want to hear more, I really recommend it. Um, but so the one thing that um, Will's struggles with is uh, sometimes he has problems with false starts. Mm. Um, I think there was a problem when they played Auburn where he had five false start penalties, uh, which, you know, isn't great. Um, And then another thing that you see with linemen, you always talk about pad level, where you want their pad level. And uh, sometimes when he is pass blocking, he'll mistime his punches to keep the rushers in front of him and his pads will start to rise over time, which means those low rushers are going to manipulate him a little bit more. The one thing about Wills that doesn't worry me at all is the fact that I think we have one of the best line coaches in the National Football League now and Bill Callahan. Love it. Um, and if there's anybody that can transition uh, Jedrick from right to left tackle, it's Bill. Um, I mean, Callahan, I mean, he's, I mean, there's very few people that know line coaches in the National Football League, but Callahan for sure is one of those guys. Um, people know him, and he has a very, very large track record. Um, when he was the line coach in uh, Dallas, he helped with Tyron Smith turning from right tackle into left tackle. That's right. Um, but looking at Brugler's guide, Brugler had um, – Jedrick Wills is the number one offensive tackle. Um, he's really, really, really good player. I think we got a great uh, player here. And then Pro Football Focus. Um, Pro Football Focus only had them as their third offensive tackle and the 11th player on their big board. Um, they, their, their player comp to him is uh, Lane Johnson, which, you know, okay. I mean, I'll take a Lane Johnson. Yeah, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'll take Lane Johnson. All right. No doubt. All right, so uh, we'll come to our second guy that we picked. Uh, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this one because you and I for a while disagreed a little bit on him. 
So in the second round with our 44th pick, we took safety Grant Delpit. So what do you think about Grant, Matt? Well, at first I was not – well, when we actually first started talking about the draft, I loved him like you did. Um, and then I started – the right after we drafted him, there were a lot of questions about his tackling. And so, you know, looking at some of that and thought, hmm, I'm not sure. That kind of worries me a little bit. But now I've come full circle. I'm back to where I was. I think if you look at his play, the national championship game comes to mind. He does hit. I think he was injured a little bit, and that 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 hurt. But I love this, and this proves that he hits. He had, like, double the stops and run support of any other safety in the draft double that's interesting oh yeah like 45 stops and run support so uh i was gonna say i've got him his last year in college i've got him at 65 tackles Mm -hmm. so he had he would come up this is over his career now but this is so he would come up he comes up and hits um and i love that uh joe woods was saying this week um and this is a quote from joe woods to me, he possesses it all. He's got the speed, saying, to cover people, uh, slot, dime, whatever you want to do, get him up in that. He's got the skill to play the deep spot, to go find the football. Um, he's just a smart player. So I think uh, I've come all the way around. And I'm also going to argue this. I think safety, um, a lot of people could say, I would say, not linebacker, but I would say I would argue safety was our biggest need. You look at that Steelers game that we lost in Pittsburgh. Safety lost us that game. There were like three or four deep 20, 25 year, yard passes completed that killed us in that game. Yeah. Now, was Demarius out that game? I don't remember. He was out. That's the game he had to stay at home. Kitchens. Oh, you're right. Yep, yeah, that's the one where he, yeah, him and Kitchens were button heads. I was like, I seem to remember Demarius not playing in that game, which hurt because I think Demarius was a great player. I'm actually going to miss him a lot. I I do like him as well, but I think we got a younger replacement to him here in Delpit with a, I think arguably a a much higher ceiling, and he's a he's a team player. Well, if you remember when Demarius was drafted, they they saw him more as a corner up in Green Bay, and they tried converting him to a corner instead of a safety. He only played full-time safety when he came to Cleveland. I like Demarius, but it, it, it is troubling, though, if you have to you have to send the guy home, you have to keep a guy from going to to play your, your, your rivalry game in Pittsburgh, where we haven't won many games yep. over the last 30 years, and, you know. I like uh, I like this quote, Matt, about Delpit. We've got from Ed, uh, from LSU head coach Ed Orgeron. No question, he is a top leader on our team, and I think that's really what our defense needs. They need more voices. I think Mac Wilson's starting to have a voice. Um, as much as I love Miles Garrett, he's never really been that raw raw leadership type. And I feel like in the modern NFL, you need a raw raw leader, at least one on defense and at least one on offense. And I feel like if Delpit has that sort of rah-rah, let's-go-get-em mentality that Ed Orgeron clearly seems to think is a big deal, I think uh, that'll be huge for that defense. I agree. And you know what? Get, getting back to locker room guys, that's a kind of uh, quality that's that's more than just physical skills that you – you know, and, and arguably Demarius 
he was kind of taken away from that thing. If you can't count yeah. the guy and what's he like in the locker room, he was asked to stay at home. Now you well, get to the den. Yeah. And you, uh, you remember right after the draft, uh, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski both talked about to the media that they had certain football non-negotiables of skills that people had to have. And then they also had, uh, character non-negotiables so there were certain things they're looking for in players character wise and athletically wise that if you don't meet one of those two things they're not going to be interested in you absolutely I, I i think that comes right in line with that that makes you feel good about the direction the browns are going in and i think that's why I, that's one of the reasons i was calling this draft an a plus uh you talked about wills he would fit right in there he Saban's called him a locker room guy, super hard worker. If the Browns are going to compete and maybe we get to a Super Bowl, somebody that's not going to get down over a tough loss, somebody that's not going to criticize teammates in the locker room, somebody that's not going to refuse to do what a coach asks them to do. Absolutely. He ordered to stay at home. I mean, I think the interesting part about Demarius, or not Demarius, uh, Delpit is, is that he is that guy that played strong, free, and nickel all in college. So he can do all three. Um, I love this. Um, He established himself as a face of the program type leader in Baton Rouge and drew comparisons to Troy Polamalu from his head coach. We'll take that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That man terrorized terrorized my fandom as a child. I will take Uh, I will take somebody like that for sure. What an instinctual player uh, Troy was, and I think um, when you watch Delpit, man, I think of that that hit he put on the quarterback uh, in the in the national championship game, causing the fumble, Uh, leaving his guy, seeing that start to happen, and then coming up making that play. He he does. possess some of those quick instinctual uh dynamic plays that Paul Amalu did well absolutely and I mean so last year he was hurt a little bit with a high ankle issue and uh he had a broken left collarbone uh in 2018 in April that required surgery so he didn't miss any games um but I mean if you look at his stats Matt I mean it's unbelievable I mean so his year where he didn't have any tackle concerns so let's go back a year um, he had 74 tackles, nine and a half tackles for a loss, five sacks, Ooh. one forced fumble, 14 passes defensed, and five interceptions. Whew. I mean, he was a unanimous All-American, first-team SEC, Jack Tatum Award winner, and led the team in interceptions. The team, not mm. just not just safeties, the whole team in interceptions. And, the, the, you know, some criticism he's received has been he, he doesn't always catch the football. Sounds like he's catching it to me. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, eight interceptions over your career, over your three-year career at LSU, where you had studs like Greedy and other DBs in front of him. I mean, I I view LSU as DBU, and it sounds like to me, for two years, he was one of the best DBs on that team. Mm-hmm. I mean, even last even last year when he was supposedly hurt, he still had sixty-five tackles, four and a half tackles for a loss, two sacks, a forced fumble, nine passes defensed, and two interceptions. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. No way. And I'll tell you, a lot of people were saying even just before the draft, even maybe a month before the draft, I still remember some people. I even saw somebody put him in the top five, but definitely they were saying top 10 possibility for Delta. I had had him in the top 15. Um, Pro Football Focus had uh, 
top pro football focus had um, Delpit in the top 25. Absolutely. But I mean, prior to what people started picking apart his tackling and maybe not looking at the injury and he started yeah. to slip a little, uh, people were, you know, and I, I, I think his performance in that national championship game, anybody who saw that saw, man, that's, I'm telling you, right, I'm telling you right now, you know, I'm prone to hyperbole when it comes to the draft. I think Delpit's tackling issues are not an issue. No. I think it, when you're from the South and you have that fight through a, an injury mentality, you fight through it like a warrior, and, and that's what he did. That's the mentality that you have being born and raised in the South. You're going to fight through that stuff, whether you should or shouldn't. And maybe it hurt his draft stock a little bit, but who's to say, you know, sitting out a couple games for an injury wouldn't have hurt his draft stock even more? I mean, love it. But I think he's a steal, and I think uh, I think he's going to be significant improvement. Um I'll in tell that you, secondary. I remember you and I both saying, you know, this we didn't think that this would be possible. And and you know, we we disagreed on the first round pick. I like Becton, but now I'm I'm totally down with the Wills pick because I love his team play and his dedication, hard work, all that. So I'm I'm fully on board now with Wills. I'm glad. But you and I both said, man, that'd be awesome if Delpit was there. But but and then you said many times, but I don't think he'll be there. But that would be awesome. Yeah, I thought for sure Delpit would be gone first couple of picks in the second round. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised somebody like New England or somebody like that didn't snag him up um, early just because, I mean, he seems like the kind of guy that Bill Belichick loves. You know, our defense last year, Zaggy, uh, 20, 22nd in the league. And um, it just, you know, Randall was hurt mm-hmm. here and there. Uh, and he played well at times. Right. Uh, that first Steeler game, you know, it was sort of uh, – we didn't get to talk about it much because it was helmet gate and whatnot after that. Yeah. But he played really well in that game, and so he had the potential. So Absolutely. I, I just feel like we gave up a lot of those big plays last year from yep. poor safety play uh, for whatever reason. And so I just feel like – I don't know if we could have uh, – you, if you're going to take safety in the first round, you could make an awful good argument that the safety that you would take would be Delpit. Yeah, I mean, so, there's a really there's a really huge thing, and I mean, if we're talking, I mean, to me, Delpit's easily a fit, top fifteen. I mean, the one problem is, I mean, we drafted Wills because we desperately needed a left tackle, desperately. And I mean, you and I have talked about it before. The only concern I would have is, you know, you're drafting for need. Uh, but I think your need and your best player available at that point were kind of meshed up. No doubt. Uh, I think so, too. Tackles for loss coming up in support. I think he will tackle. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm – and he's a bigger guy. Yeah, so. Delpit, Delpit I definitely give an A-plus for the pick. Um, like, like I said, if I had to give a grade to Wills – honestly, Wills is really the only reason I'm bringing the – draft down to a B plus is because the whole, can he can transition to the left tackle? Right. If, if he little... can, if he can, it's a bona fide a plus because it doesn't matter what everything else happens. If you can get two starters out of your first two picks that drafts an a plus, it doesn't matter what happens everywhere else. But now right. we come into the strength of what I think Andrew Barry and um, Paul D Podesta's real strength is. And that's analytics. When we come to our third pick. Yes. Uh, Jordan Elliott, who is, a beast um he's a nice. you like him I, 
I love him. Uh, so pro, pro Football Focus had him as their 23rd ranked player overall, and we got him with the 88th overall pick. Mm, that's I mean, that's, it's that's tremendous value. I mean, Elliot's great. I mean, yeah. You look at his; he's got a combination of size, mm-hmm. athleticism, and production. What is um, size, my brother? What What do you got? So about? his his size, I've got him at six three three zero two. Okay, okay. Yeah, and he's uh he's, he doesn't look huge on film, but he. Uh, so he was uh, he was a four star tackle recruit out of high school. Uh, he was the number fifteen defensive tackle in the country when he was being recruited out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, when he so his last year at Missouri. Uh, he had 44 tackles, 10 for a loss, three sacks, and three pass defense, which yeah. you know, is okay. But the main thing with Pro Football Focus talked about, and the thing that I love yeah. is that uh, he had grades of 90 or higher from Pro Football Focus, both as a run and pass defender. Mm. So while he didn't necessarily have the stats that line up with that, Pro Football Focus grades a lot of stuff based on did you get pressure? Were you in your gap? Was yeah. your gap sealed up? So a lot of that stuff, like, a lot of what really makes Jordan Elliott a strong player in my mind is stuff that doesn't necessarily show up on the stat line. That pops on his tape. I, I noticed that on his tape, uh, watching a lot of his tape. He, he'll he stand up stuff at the line, and he's in his gap. He'll cause a running back to tra- change direction. And yeah, the one thing – will make the play, yeah. The one thing I really like, too, is you and I have talked a lot about um, the way you align defensive linemen in a 4-3 scheme. Typically in the NFL, what you'll do is you'll have one guy be at a one tech and one at a three tech. So that means that you're going to have one guy lined up in between the center and the guard, and then one guy that's lined up in between the guard and the tackle on the other side. Then you typically widen out a defensive end, or you slide linebackers around to cover for that. Um, The thing that's awesome about Elliott is when he played for uh, Mizzou in their four-man front, he played him at both one and three techs. So you can ask him to do a whole lot of stuff – which I absolutely love. Um, I think he can do a whole bunch of things. Um, he is great um, versus double teams, and he can redirect to chase down the ball carrier. I mean, I don't know. I think he's great. I think he's going to be awesome. He was a uh, team captain in 2019. Um, he led the team in tackles for a loss and had a blocked kick, which I'm always about. Um, he dedicated himself to being in the weight room, which I think is really cool. Um, Dane Brugler has that he lost 30 pounds prior to the 2019 season. Hmm. So he slimmed up a little bit and got a little bit more lean. And I think, I I just think he's great with, he's got long arms. He's great on the punch. He's great off the ball release. And I, I don't know. I just, as a defensive line, offensive line guy, Elliot gets me excited. Like when we first drafted him, I was like, wait, who the hell is this guy? And then I read about him and I watched a little bit of tape on him. And I was like, Ooh, this might be a really good steel pick. Well, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I, I saw that and I know you were hyped about him. And so I like him and in, uh, in, in, in looking at that gap control, that sort of pops on his, on his tape and he's aggressive getting to a ball carrier. I like that. He, he, uh, you can see his aggression in there, which is, is key. Here's what I love about it. It's a need, but it's a depth need. So we've got, we got a really good prospect and uh, you know, I'm I'm totally stoked and hyped, and I don't know if we can do it in this podcast, but the guy he's going to come in behind, I'm loving our Andrew Billings pickup, our former co-Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Baylor standout, uh, Texas totally 
I mean, just one of the great Texas DTs of all time. I'm getting too hyped. But he, he benched 500 pounds in high school. He was this, a huge recruit and uh, blew out his ACL at the Bengals. They had him as a second-round grade billing, and he's played his tail off the last couple of years. And I know all our Browns fans out there, I got tired of seeing Billings make plays against the Browns, shutting down our run game. And that's arguably a key reason. We <laughs> the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at just that room now, I mean, that room is beastly. You've got Ogan Joby, you've got Richardson, you've got Billings. Now you've got Jordan Elliott thrown in there. I mean, oh, those yeah. are four guys on that defensive tackle that you can just rotate around and you can, I mean, as a defensive line coach, you got to be fired up about getting your hands on those guys. I mean, just letting them ball out. You I mean, know, you probably I love Sheldon Richardson, another another Mizzou yeah. guy. That's right. And you point they must be doing something right down there. I'll tell you what. Um, and you pointed this out though. You know, all these people like him, Pro Football Focus. Uh, you know, they love Elliot. Um, and when you're coming in and you've got some proven veterans are, are I, th- I think the, the billing signing was huge. You, this guy can learn and this guy can compete against some really tough players. And uh, we don't need him to step in immediately and do a bunch of stuff. Well, can- I remember, I remember talking to you on the phone right after we picked um, Elliot and we were, I was walking around my house outside and I was like, you know what? I said, you know who he reminds me of? And I said, he is a bigger school, Larry Ogunjobi. Hmm. That was who he reminded me of. He reminded me of that guy that can get pressure and he can do well in the run block. And I mean, but looking at the comparison, I mean, he's, he's a bigger school, Ogunjobi. I think that's a very accurate thing to him. The one thing I hope for Elliot is that, you know, he has more consistent coaching staffs and that he has more time to develop. Cause I think that's what's hold, held Ogan Joby back the most. I like that. But you know, one thing I like about Elliot over Ogan Joby is size. He's six, three, man. He, I mean, he, how, big, how big is Ogan Joby? Man? Not six, three. I mean, I don't think uh, I'm not sure, but I think he's, I'm Googling it. He might even be under six foot, man. Ogan Joby, 6'3", 305. Oh, okay. According to that, okay. That's and, cool. and Jordan Elliott's 6'3", 307. They're about All as right. close physical so, comparison as you totally can Totally comparable, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, like I said, he's a bigger school guy, and he was way more heavily recruited. I mean. Against tougher competition playing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not to say – I mean, Ogan Joby's done great for us. but uh, So let's move into our next little uh, – who I absolutely love as well. Um, a lot of people put it as a reach, um, but uh, I, you really liked him too, is our uh, linebacker, Jacob Phillips from LSU. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Zach. So the big stuff with Phillips, he's 6'3", 229. He was a junior when he came out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, at the Combine, he ran a 4640. Um Dane Brugler, this is the first one Brugler really doesn't care for. I mean, I mean, not that he doesn't care for it, but he had him as the 17th ranked linebacker, and he had a fifth round grade on him. We took him in the third round. Mm-hmm. Um, they said overall Phillips has limitations. So this is directly from Brugler. Overall Phillips has limitations that lower his NFL ceiling, but teams will be comfortable taking a chance on a player with his production. Knows for the ball and straight line speed. So this is where I draw my line in the sand. I think he is a better NFL prospect than the guy the Ravens drafted. 
Hey, I I like what you're than Queen. The Queen. I think he is better. I think he's got more football smarts. I think he was asked to do more in that defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people dig on us because there were guys like Troy Dye and Akeem Davis Gaither still on the board at linebacker who right. people had ranked a lot higher. Yes. Uh, but I mean, I like Phillips because he's got I mean, he's got explosion, he's got burst, and he's smart. The yep. only problem right now with him is that he doesn't necessarily have that change of direction that you want in a middle linebacker as much. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. He reminds me a whole lot of your guy, Joe Schobert. I mean, he's got, he's got production. I love it. I love that you said that because that I think that's a, a, that's a great comparison. Um, you know, watching some film on him too, I – you know, I was originally pretty stoked about him. He had 113 tackles last year. That's what I'm so saying. He, he led the SEC in tackles. Yeah. So, and I, I like the Joe the Show comparison. Here is a little of my concern uh, on, on Phillips. And I was initially pretty high on him. And um, But now when I've thought about it, it's not as big a concern because uh, – there's a lot of tackles downfield, and just like Joe the Show, just like Kirko, I'll even go clear back to our Dequell Jackson. You know, a lot of times we're 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 stuffing the stat sheet, leading yep. the tackles, but those tackles are 12 yards down the field. And when you watch Phillips, you see a bunch of that. Now, is somebody needed to to make a tackle 12 yards down the field? If somebody's running free, you better believe it. Yep. So uh, somebody's got to make that tackle. But um, as far as coming up line of scrimmage and making hits, I think a lot of times we've suffered in the last several years, going clear back to Jackson, is that, you know, when, when we've got a team in third and three and you need your linebacker to come up and run support and make a stout, tough hit right at the, at the attack, at the point of attack, sometimes we haven't had that. Yeah. So that's one thing that, that worries me. But I would couple that, though, with with here's the thing. Uh, I think we're going to count on Miles Garrett to get some pressure, Olivier Vernon get some pressure. And if those kinds of things happen and uh, teams can't do just what they want to do, I think a guy like Phillips can is quick. Yeah. Um, so in space. Yeah. To continue with my Joe Schobert comparison here. Uh, yeah. So Joe Schobert uh, – when he entered in the draft, he was 6'1", 244, and ran a 46740. Okay. Jacob Phillips is 6'3", 229, and ran a 46740. Mm, okay. And Schobert, again, had a fifth round draft pick, was drafted, was drafted in the third. And just like Phillips, Phillips was projected in the fifth and was drafted in the third. So I think the comparison is definitely there. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and you notice, I think he is instinctual. We talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, coming out of high school, played running back. Uh, was He was uh, Mr. Football in his state, Tennessee, yep. um, you know, playing a lot of running back. So I think he really understands the game. I think he is instinctual. Um, I think he's got to put a little – little more meat on his bones possibly. I think, I think he needs maybe a little more meat or maybe even he just needs more tempering time with a 
NFL linebackers coach. I mean, I think the best part about him is this is our first guy that we're not looking to just jump in immediately and start for us this season. He's, I mean, he's a development guy. I mean, he's not a dude you take the you were thin there. <laughs> I, I think. Well, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna see a lot of four-two stuff with Joe Woods this season while we're developing those other guys. I mean, I, I mean, we'll see. Um, but I think he's gonna be one of those guys that you can afford to develop a little bit. Now, if he's starting by like week talk, week eight, talk. week ten, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna have Mac and uh, Mac and Taki Taki being our two linebackers. Um, but BJ Goodson. I, Goodson's not bad. Yeah, I'm. I'm not as high on BJ Goodson as a lot of other people. Um, I don't know. I think I think he needs that seasoning in the NFL because one of his big knocks that Brugler had for Phillips was that he's too reactive in coverage that he gets lost in the backfield, and so he loses his pass targets. So instead of watching the guy he's supposed to be looking at, he's looking in the backfield, which you know can hurt in zone coverage. But I mean, he played in a three-four uh, at LSU, whereas he'll be in a four-three role here, where the the role is similar, but it's a little bit different. Um. Yeah, you know what? It's this has killed us, and uh, we and I think he fits the mold that maybe can help us here, and Delpit would too. But the thing that if you could point to one thing that's just gouged the Browns uh, since we've been back in the league, right? And mm-hmm. and I would say our inability to cover tight ends, and and now it's it's even more acute if you ask me because. You know, if you get Miles Garrett putting some pressure, and I firmly believe that, you know, I love, uh, you know, you mentioned Claiborne. I love that pickup. Oh, it's absolutely uh, great. You said it last last time, but next-gen stats at 13.8 quarterback pressure rate, second in the league Mm -hmm. over the last, like, seven or eight years or something like that. But um, I love that, and – and Vernon can really put pressure on the quarterback was great in New York and was great in his limited time with the Browns. So I think if you're going to pressure the quarterback, what has killed us born with, with Vernon, uh, with Sheldon Richardson, of course, MG bringing it. Then I feel like, uh, the thing that's killed us with covering the tight ends, if we can cover those tight ends and then if they dump it underneath on a third and six, we can make a play. We get, yeah. We're getting heat. So I think he's that new age linebacker that everybody's talking about that can run a little bit, run with a tight end, and then make a tackle. I mean, you know, 113 tackles last year. He was making some plays in the open field. I mean, well, and to me, he seems like that consistent linebacker that maybe complements the athletic linebacker in Queen that uh, Baltimore got. I mean, cause you know, if you got one of those rangy athletic all over the ball, all over the field type guys, you need one guy that's going to do consistently what you're asking them to do. And almost like fill in for that guy, almost like the yin to somebody else's yang. And I think that's no. why Phillips fits really well with us um, is because he could be the yin to Mac Wilson's yang. Cause Mac is an athletic dude. Oh Yeah. And I love it too, Zach. I mean, 113 tackles. People, are you getting that into your brain out there, folks? I mean, he's getting like eight tackles a game or so, roughly. I'm, I'm I was going to say three, three years, three years at LSU. The man had 218 tackles. Yeah. What? That's insane. So he's making plays. He has the size. And um, another thing uh, that 
Brugler says is that I yep. love is if you watch Phillips, you can count his 2019 missed tackles on one hand. <laughs> I do love that. And what is our problem with the Browns, Zach? Yep, you know it. You know it. Please, I'll tell you what. So, uh, you know, once again, and and we talked about this a little bit, but addressing need. And, and everybody gets horrified when you mention that, oh, because you take the best player available. But I think um, if you address need and get a great player, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, you look at some of those, the Steelers dynasty and whatnot of yeah. the 70s and um, some of the successful teams, they've addressed needs in their draft. And, uh, and so I think I just feel like the Browns really did that. Get a get a sure tackler. We haven't tackled for crap. I don't know if there's been any stats, and I, I haven't seen a set stat, but missed tackles. I wonder where the Browns land. I would argue we had to be in the top five last few years. I'm not sure, but I bet we were pretty damn high. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Um, so let's uh, slide down to our fourth round pick. Once again, I mean, I feel like I've said I've loved everybody, uh, but this <laughs> one is one of those guys. That when I first read him, but read about him, like or when I first saw it, I was like, eh. Again, it was just like kind of like I, I felt with uh, Jordan Elliott. I was kind of yeah. eh about him until I started mm-hmm. reading him. Cool. Um, Harrison Bryant, tight end from Florida Atlantic, 6'4", 243. Um, Pro Football Focus doesn't mm. like this pick as much. Mm. They had him. They had him graded out as like a great re- uh, receiving tight end. Um, but they think that um, he's not he's uh, isn't athletic enough to pass for a receiver, not strong enough to be a traditional tight end. They think mm-hmm. he'll be in no man's land in the NFL. He did, however, overall grade in every year of his collegiate career and finished the pre-draft process inside the 150 on the uh, on the big board. Um, so Brian yeah. me is an awesome pick, though. Um, Brugler likes him significantly better uh, than Pro Football Focus does. They had mm-hmm. him as his third overall tight end. Mm-hmm. which is great value in the fourth round. Um, I'm, I'm more on the Brugler end of things with that. Yeah, I think he's I think he's an athlete for the position. Um, he's fluid. Um, I love this. He had 65 receptions for 1,004 yards and seven touchdowns with the Owls last year. Um, he was the John Mackey Award winner. He's the first one I can remember that's a non-Power 5 guy to win the John Mackey Award, which is awesome. Oh, I love that, Zach. And I got another cool stat for you. He's the first tight end since 2013 to finish with more than 1,000 yards receiving in a season. Ooh, ooh, I love that. So He's he's the third player in school history to record a 1,000-yard season, too. I love that. Um, You know, and a couple things that kind of stood out for me – He's going to have to add some bulk. Now, he's he's tall, though, but I did love this. I did love this, and several people said from Florida Atlantic is, he is a willing and tough and aggressive blocker. Yep, yep. I love that, and I also love uh, – they said he's a very coachable player with high football IQ, and he's a yes sir, no sir type and is extremely respected in the program and improved his production each season, which I absolutely love. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's willing to take um, – that. so at the three-year starter at FAU, he lined up as their F tight end and head coach Lane Kiffin spread offense, which means sometimes he'd see snaps in line, but most of the time he was detached. So it honestly wouldn't surprise me, Matt, if you see him – this season in particular being used a lot as like almost like an H back, like uh, that, like they ran um, 
they ran an H back with Baker Mayfield when he was in Oklahoma. Um, hmm. I'm blanking on the kid's name. I want to say like, uh, I'm going to Google it because I don't want to mess it up, but they had an H back Baker's last year in uh, Oklahoma that like, he was like a, uh, he was like a fullback slash tight end. It was Dimitri flowers. Okay. Uh, but they ran him as like this H back where they lined him up as a tight end. They lined him up as a fullback. They moved him all around. And we know Stefanski likes having a fullback. So if you could take mm. Harrison Bryant and use him as like a pass catching fullback, H back type thing, he'd be great. I mean, I think he has a lot of potential as a tight end too. But I think maybe this season you might see him sort of used as that sort of move him all around the field type guy. And right now, size wise, he fits that role better than traditional tight end. Yeah, he fits that a little bit better. So I think it wouldn't surprise me if we see him utilized that way a little bit as he's bulking up a little bit this season. Um, yeah, but I mean, getting the best tight end award in college football from a non-Power 5 school, you got to be great. And I mean, they say that he's got agility and ball skills to be productive in quick games with slants, hooks, etc., or down the seam. They said he's efficient, try-hard competitor as a move blocker. Um, so they're just worried. The only concern is he's not, they're not worried about his bulk or they're worried about his bulk against defensive linemen on the edge. Hey, he um, played that H back role against Ohio state had 80 some yards receiving, uh, took on a CUDA looked great. Uh, caught the ball down the seam. Like you just said. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's a steal. Um, if he can figure out, if we can figure out where to use him. And I think Stefanski's all about those versatile guys that he can use in multiple ways. Because Stefanski loves saying that he's going to use guys to force defenses into their base coverage. So, like, if you've got him out at a fullback and then you've got two tight ends, you're going to force them into a uh, normal coverage. Then you could flex him out of the backfield, put him out wide, and have another guy out wide, which, you know, is very interesting. Uh, that is super interesting. And I bet – and I guarantee that they are seeing that too, Zach, because here's a here's the problem. He's a willing blocker. Yep. That's what we want. That's what an H-back has to do. And, you know, you compare him, for example. What's that kid we had from Harvard that we got super – he popped on all his – Oh, um, shoot. What was his name? Um, he could run and he down the scene, catching the heck out of the ball. But I can not, see his face, but I can't remember. Uh, yeah, not a willing inline blocker. And, and, you know, a liability there in the run game. Uh, so, you know, having a guy like Bryant that he's aggressive and tough and, and he, you know, he's smart. You can put him into different schemes. But he, valve, that was his name. Oh yeah. The valve. Exactly. Yep. So uh, I just feel like, you know, having a guy that can do a couple of things and obviously catches the football. Great. And, and he did play that H-back role. And, you know, the, the high state game pops. Everybody was like, you know, one good game against some really quality competition. And people were saying, hey, who is that kid? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's and if you look at Baker, I mean, he's had his most success when he has good tight ends and he, when he had a good H-back. I mean, because he had the kid that went to Baltimore that played tight end for him that year at Oklahoma, too. I mean, he had some stellar oh, yeah. tight end and H-back. He loves his his tight ends. But because we're we're starting to build up on time here, we're going to go a little bit quicker through the next couple picks. And then maybe we can just throw down and 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 have a two-part draft. I don't don't know if we need it because we only have two more draft picks to go, and then we can each maybe talk about one of our undrafted guys. Right on, Tucky. So round five brings us to Nick Harris, center from Washington, um, who, again, is great value pick. Um, 
Pro Football Focus mm-hmm. loved him. Um, mm-hmm. Pro Football Focus had him among the 20 best FBS centers in both 17 and 18. Wow. Okay. And they said they, they, love the, they love him playing out in space, either in the run game or on screens, um, and that he's yeah. just scratching the surface technique-wise. Brugler uh, thought he was maybe a little undersized. Um, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> they had him as a, so he was a four year starter at Washington. He started at guard before moving to center. Um, started eight, worst, 18 games at guard, 24 at center in his career. Yeah, pretty, pretty nice split there. Um, yeah. I think he's great. He's really smart, really, really smart kid. And I think he really fits well in that zone scheme. I mean, you could see this guy down the road being a replacement at either center or guard. I mean, Zach, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, and you heard it here on uh, Zachy Matt's podcast, but uh, I think he's the dark horse to take Wyatt Teller's job. Uh, this this kid in space, I mean, anybody YouTube him, Google him, check him out. Number 56, Washington. He gets out there and makes plays down the field. He's quick as all get out, and he's aggressive and tough. There I love I love this kid. I heard that I heard uh that I'm trying to remember the kid's name, but supposedly Callahan really likes one of those guys that we brought in. Uh the Colby Gassette. Oh, okay. So I think Colby Gassette, um, they were talking about him on Cleveland Browns Daily um the other day that Colby Gassette could be that dark horse to take over that right guard position and let Nick Harris no, develop for a little bit. All this now and may, and you know, hopefully we get some preseason so these guys can show, but I'll tell you when the pads come on and, and this kid like Nick Harris, who's just been a total beast at Washington and they say oh, yeah. trenches, he's just a tough kid. He's strong. And uh, you, you, you see what happens, but maybe this kid comes in and, you know, instead of waiting behind Treader, you got to find a spot for him. If he's that good. Absolutely. Um, I think he's great. Um, Brugler had him as a third round grade, and we got him in the fifth. Wow, love it! Um, yeah, he, I, was, he was first team All Pac twelve the last two years as a center, which is pretty great. Um, I watched a little tape on him around the time of our draft, but then here recently, looking at more, and I was really impressed how you know little screens and and what but not he would get out there and run with a guy and block and aggressively block and and just a tough in-line defender, too. Yeah, I mean, and the one thing I really like, too, is Brugler has a quote here from the um, Huskies left tackle, Trey Adams, and said that he's the captain of the offensive line, which is what you need because the center is the guy that calls out the coverages, makes all those adjustments. I mean, that's what we missed a long time after Mm -hmm. Alex Mack left was we had nobody that was that good. I mean, Alex Mack was brilliant. I mean, Joe Thomas said he was probably one of the best linemen he's ever played with. I mean – Boy, and now, and I, I love that. And now, if you look, you look at Will, um, same kind of things have been said about Wills. So you're looking at an intellectual. I mean, look at Treader. Those guys understand their roles. And you get these guys in here, you know, Nick Harris, that are smart and can do things uh, and can do this wide range of things and pick up things quick. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. The one thing that Brugler, I'm going to end my summary on uh, Harris here with Brugler's quote. Um, he says, this is the last part of his displaying starter level traits in a zone blocking scheme. All right. I'm on board with that. Uh, okay, that sounds good. 
Yeah, and then we come to our last draft pick, which is much maligned by the residents, uh, by the fans that reside in Columbus, Ohio. Uh-huh. Um, people giving him a hard time, but I was absolutely fired up about this pick. Um, wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. PJ. Um, I love this pick. I think he is a great value. I think he's a beast. I think he was held back by a crazy scheme in Michigan. Yeah. Huh. Um, I think I think they were trying to do too much. I think Gaddis would get too cute. And the fact that Shea Patterson, in my opinion, was one of the worst starting quarterbacks in college football last season. Sarge would probably uh, agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, so Peoples Jones was a three-year starter. He was their ex receiver in the spread pro scheme that Gaddis likes running. Um, I mean, Patterson could barely throw it in the big house at all. Like if he stood outside, I'm not sure he could hit the big house. Um, which I think really hurt Peoples Jones' production. Uh, Peoples Jones was a five-star recruit out of high school, and oh, he was yeah. he was the top-ranked recruit. It was like Urban Meyer and uh, Urban Meyer was fighting to get this guy in Ohio State. Oh yeah, I love Urban Meyer. You talk about Columbus people being upset. Well, hey, if you're not upset with Urban, which I know you're not. Urban said he he's a top ten pick. <laughs> yeah, Urban Meyer said he was a top ten pick in receiving. Oh, talent. I mean, it's Donovan Peoples Jones is an athletic freak. That if he can get the production sorted out, there's no doubt in my mind that Hollywood Higgins is going to be off this team in a couple of years because People Jones is going to push him off. Well, and but why couldn't we keep them both? Why couldn't Hollywood be great as well? But I I'll tell you what, I'm I'm with you. I really like I. Uh, I was a little wondering at first, but, you know, watching some Buckeyes games, he does stand out as making some plays. Um, two, I mean, he only played two years at Michigan. I've got him 17, 18, 19. Oh, okay. But I think he had an injuries. Uh, I've got him. He started six games his first year, 11 games his second year, and then nine games last year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He played, he played in 11 games last year, but only started nine. Okay, I got you. Yeah, um, he was often banged up throughout his career, including several soft tissue injuries. I've got a hamstring yeah, and a freshman year. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Um, another thing, another thing I really like about Peoples Jones is that he is smart. Um, he graduated high school with a three nine GPA, and he wants to be an orthopedic surgeon like his dad. So I mean, oh, okay, he's a, he's a smart kid. I mean, I think he's I think he's great. He's great at high pointing the ball. I just. I just don't feel like Josh Gaddis knew how to use him. And, and it's not even that Josh Gaddis knew how to use him. It's just that he didn't have the quarterback talent to use him. Yes, I, I'm i with you. I, I, uh, The more that you see some things that he does, the more he pops. Uh, that, that dynamic return for a touchdown against Nebraska, that punt return. Um, Absolutely. We haven't – and, Zach, you mentioned this before, but – I mean, we. When's the last time we had a dynamic punt returner? I can't. Travis Benjamin, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Uh, I mean, we're going back a while. And and some of those. Just talk about last year. I mean, when Juice had to go back there and fair catch. That's the ultimate in 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 pain right there. Oh yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but I think Donovan Peoples Jones, if he, I just think he has this chance. To be great, I I don't know why I feel that way. I just I think watching him, watching Michigan. I mean, I remember when I first when I had my uh, surgery on my leg, I was down in Morgantown watching college football. I was watching the Michigan game, 
Yeah. And I remember looking at him and I texted, um, I texted Sarge, our friend that's a, a huge Michigan fan. And I go, how is Shea Patterson not hitting him? Because it was a late in the game season. Donald yeah. Peoples was fortunate. I think, right? The, no, the, the one I'm thinking of is uh, it would have been last October because that was right. when I had my injury. Right. So, uh, I was I was just watching this and I was like, Peoples Jones is burning people down the field, and, mm. and Shea Patterson couldn't throw it in the river if he was standing on a bank. And uh, you know, just and that's my fault. But thinking about his his sophomore year, finishing Ohio State, Florida, fifteen catches. I mean, yeah. he's been a, a big game guy. Uh, his freshman year, he had six catches in the uh, Outback Bowl that they played versus South Carolina. And played I, mean, well. I think he's. I think he's a great athlete. I, I think he was. I think he's a great athlete who was held back by inconsistent coaching and an inconsistent quarterback. I mean, that's my two cents on it. I could be super wrong, but I'm going to stand for Donovan Peoples-Jones till the cows come home because I think all the athletic talent in the world is there. I think he's smart. I think I want to see him with an accurate quarterback like Baker Mayfield and see how he turns out. Me. A couple things struck me, Zachy, and here's what it is: if you just look at him as a wide receiver, I think. You wonder, ah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, one a couple things that that some different people said while I slipped in the draft, and I know you you heard this comment, but he needs a runway to get going. Here's what I think the Browns were thinking. They're thinking we need a dynamic punt returner. Mm-hmm. And where else can you name other than maybe kickoff where you get a runway? <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. You know, we split the middle of the field, he catches it. At, at the opponent's 40 and takes it to the house right up the Ooh. middle. Josh Cribb style, baby. Gets me, gets me excited, man. You know how much <laughs> I love the return game. That's so much fun. So once again, I think the Browns, I mean, I just love how we looked at some glaring needs that we had. Uh, punt returns a glaring need. And I think, man, like you say, if, if this guy lives up to his potential as a wide receiver, mm-hmm. wow. But maybe he can come right in and also provide some pop in that punt return game. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just think I think he could do some things that are special. I mean, I, I would really now. Do I think he's going to come onto this team and make an immediate impact? Probably not. But do I think that he's going to have an impact down the road? Absolutely. Um, he's I got more spe- speed than Hollywood. You know, he's got a lot. I'm of- saying. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get some hyperbole going here. All right. If Donovan Peoples Jones went to Ohio State, mm-hmm. he would have been the first wide receiver off the board in this draft. Wow. Well, you know, in, in my I feel I feel I feel that strongly about Donovan Peoples Jones. I wow. firmly believe that if he would have gone to Ohio State, he would have been the first wide receiver off, so off you the board. So you don't think that's fair? That runway, like a lot of people said, he needs a runway to get going. His no, I think line. I think I think he might, but who knows if he would have been? I mean, as much as I as I'm annoyed by Ohio State fans sometimes, um, yeah. But I mean, I'm annoyed by a lot of fans that aren't fans of my team because you know I'm a homer. I am what I am. We're, um, we love the Mountaineers. Yeah, uh, but the main the main thing that I will say is that how different would it have been if he would have been at Ohio state? Ohio state has world-class facilities, world-class trainers, world-class coaches, not saying Michigan doesn't have that, but I mean, consistency at wide receivers coach. I mean, having Brian Hartline coaching you for four years may have made a difference. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you there. Yeah. I just think consistency at the wide receiver coaches and, and offensive coordinator. I mean, 
that's the one thing. I mean, that's another reason Ohio State's so successful. They recruit like son of bitches, and they don't change coaches that often. And, you know, to, to be real about it, and I, I saw several times there, I mean, his production wasn't great last year, 34 catches for 438 yards. But I saw on, on several spots where Josh Gaddis said he was banged up. He had all yeah. kinds of different injuries. So um, Basically, they say he underachieved at Michigan. He never developed in the team's go-to threat because he had zero 100-yard receiving games and 37 career games, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is a knock on him. But I think I think Shea Patterson has a lot to do with it. And I honestly think a lot of that rests on Harbaugh. Harbaugh never got a quarterback to take advantage of some of these guys they had because Peoples Jones was great. They had a tight end that was great. Um, they like to spread it around. They really did. Well, and it's not even that. It's just like I feel like Gaddis's stuff, Gaddis's play calls kind of reminded me of uh uh when we had uh oh shoot. Uh when we had the Shermer Norv Turner offense going. Ooh. Or no, not North North Turner, Shermer and uh, Brad Childress, where it was mm-hmm. like they got too cute sometimes. Like they'd, they'd run a lot of West Coasty stuff, but then they'd like, then they'd all of a sudden go four verts. And it was like, wait, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, I kind of feel like Gaddis's offense was kind of like that. I mean, I watched a lot of Michigan this year because, you know, because of Sarge, I was either going to root him on or bust his nuts on it. Right. But right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I just I wholeheartedly believe that if Peoples Jones would have gone to one of, I mean, because he had he chose Michigan because that's where his dad went, but he also so had offers he, from Florida, Florida he, State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Zach, what did he run at the combine? Forty, four four eight, four four eight. Okay, so not lightning quick, but but I mean, people that people quick. that were saying that he needs that head start to get going. Uh, I mean, yeah. his his ten yard split was a one five nine, which isn't bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, and he's a big guy, right? Uh, I've got him at six one two twelve. Okay, so I'll tell you what, if he and and I like how he, um, oh, I think his, he, I think he posted a good number. I'm not seeing it right here. Oh, he, uh, his vert was was sick, like forty four and a half. At the combine, his vertical yeah, jump. and a half for his vertical. His broad jump was like eleven feet. So I mean, he's a beast, and that tells me he's got some burst. Uh, I love the potential of having, and I hope this happens, a dynamic punt returner. Man, yep. if we can set up in some good field position, that'd be great. It'd be great. I thought that killed us last year. Field position was an annihilator. So, so overall. Um, Dane Brugler doesn't give out draft grades, oh, okay. um, but Pro Football Focus agrees with you. They have us as an A plus uh, on the draft. You which know, I absolutely, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Um, and then, just real quick, as a quick whip around, since you know we yeah. talk smack on other teams, okay. he has the uh, Bengals with an A on their draft. Mm, mm, uh, yeah. This is all Pro Football Focus. They've got the Bengals at an A. They've got the Browns as an A plus. Mm-hmm. They've got the Steelers as a B minus, and they've got the Ravens as a B. Mm, okay. So Pro Football Focus has us as the highest ranked draft in the in the AFC North. I love it. I love it. And I, of course, PFF loved that we got Elliott, Delpit, uh, Wills, which three top twenty five guys of theirs. That's probably helped our Yeah, we got three top twenty five guys in the top eighty eight picks, which doesn't hurt. And I, um, 
So real quick, we'll sort of wrap up here yeah. um, on our draft talk. Um, why don't we each pick one guy that we like that we signed as an undrafted free agent and maybe okay. talk about them a little bit. Um, All right. My, my favorite undrafted free agent, and, you know, we've talked about him a little bit before, um, just you and me individually. Um, yeah. I absolutely love the signing of A.J. Green, corner from Oklahoma State. Ooh, I like that guy um, too. Apparently there were a bunch of teams that were in on him. A lot of teams fell in love with him at the senior bowl, but they, he had concerns. I mean, uh, Dane Brugler had him as a fifth to sixth grade pick, um, which I fifth or sixth round pick. I, wow. I, I think he's a great, I think he has great potential. I think there's reasons that he fell. Hmm. Um, his speed, basically he loses vertical foot races and his, uh, uh, eye, his eyes and feet tend to be mixed up a little bit. Um, but he was a three-year starter at Oklahoma State. Wow! Uh, and he entered his season with a senior season with a third-round grade early on. Um, and then his play sort of fluctuated in nineteen. So, uh, but he did a good job against the best receivers. I mean, he's played in the Big Twelve. I mean, he went up against C.D. Lamb, Denzel Mims. I mean, he went up against some studs at wide receiver. He looks like he. Now you know more about it than me, Zachy, but he looks like a physical guy too. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, Brugler had some of his strengths as he's tall with adequate muscle build. And I mean, he jams receivers on the line and tries to throw off yeah. their uh, route timing. So, I mean, he, he makes like a lot that. of sense there. Mm -hmm. um, he ran a four, six, four, four, six, two forty. He's six, one, two, two. He's got an athletic family. Um, he's got a bunch of cousins that play professional sports. Mm -hmm. um, like a cousin plays in the WNBA. He's got other kids, uh, other cousins that are playing college ball. I mean, he was honorable mention, all Big 12. He had an, uh, a pick return for a touchdown and was a team captain all last year. Mm. I mean, there there were a bunch of teams that were in on him to get him and signed. That's why we gave him that big bonus, huh, Zach? Yeah. They, they shelled out to get him. Yeah, I think uh, I'm looking here. He, he got more than – I think he got more than DPJ. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's probably making more than DPJ and probably making more than uh, Nick Harris too. Mm -hmm. um, but I was trying to find. I heard there were. Uh, I think it was one hundred forty-five thousand they gave him, whereas they typically give guys thirty thousand. Yeah, I uh, heard there were like something like thirteen teams that were interested. They outbid. In yeah, they outbid some other teams, which is awesome. Yeah, analytically, um, I think he really. Uh, fits really well i'll just end it or yeah. i'll end my little babble here about it yeah. um green has a projectable frame and moves with the muscle twitch to pester receivers from the press he struggles to recover after false steps and must improve his discipline as he said he's playing time in the nfl projecting as a backup and that's from dane brugler i didn't write that but um maybe i think lot. yeah I, I think i think he's another one of those guys pick him develop him let him grow i mean he's mm. a great he's a great pickup and uh I think in five years, he's the only A.J. Green we'll be talking about in the AFC North. Ooh, I like it. I like <laughs> it. That's a good tag. <laughs> nice. nice. All right, so who, who do you like among our undrafted guys, Matt? Um, I do like your pick there. I, I think, uh, you know, a guy that I'm intrigued by that I kind of like that we picked up is Brian Herring, the, the running back out of Georgia. Um, okay. Uh, Herring backed up Chubb and Sony Michelle, and then uh, H E R I E N Herring. But he, um, you know what I like about this kid is that, you know, he backed up some really tough running backs. I mean, Sony Michelle. Uh, uh, 
he backed up. He he was fourth oh. string, fourth string behind Chubb, Sony Michelle, and DeAndre Swift. But in but he has some decent numbers there, Zach. If you if you look, um, he does. Yeah, he's he's yeah. great in the he's great receiving. Looks like yeah, he he catches the ball. He's got all kinds of speed, and when he he really showed some stuff. I think he I want to say he had like nearly five hundred yards rushing last year. He's got uh he's got one hundred and three carries for four hundred ninety yards for a okay. four point eight yards per carry and six yeah. touchdowns. And then he's got 16 receptions for 110 yards, uh, so 6.9 yards per catch and a touchdown. And so I think it's one of these guys. I mean, you could argue that Georgia, that's running back you. And uh, Oh, for sure. And, you know, coming into, you know, Chubb said some nice things about this, this, this young man. And I think coming into uh, a spot where there's a bunch of really good players and then you're trying to wait your turn and do some things, and I think there's a bit of a numbers crunch there, but I think the Browns saw that, and I I'd be willing to bet that Chubb told the Browns, "Hey, this kid can play some ball." Um, so Harry and Matt actually ran a better forty yard dash than my AJ Green <laughs> corner. Oh yeah, and what he was ran? His- uh, he ran a four six two forty. Okay, and that's I mean, he's probably quick. that's cool. That's cool. So he uh, and what's his size, Zach? Uh, so we've got Harry in here. He's a five eleven, two oh nine, and he kind of, he kind of. That's what I kind of saw a little bit watching him a little. Is um, he's got that little burst, so that little guy sort of playmaker, drop it out in the flat. Yeah, um, Brugler's Brugler's got him graded out right around where we got him. They ha- they had him as a seventh round uh, pick or a priority free agent. Okay, um, so I like his. You know, I, I just like he's got a little burst. Um, yeah, straight line cutting, and I, I I bet like you you pointed out the Browns probably like the fact that he can catch the ball a little bit too. Yeah, so they've got a Brugler's overall summary here. Overall, Harrion was overshadowed most of his career to a crowded running back depth chart in Athens, but he was productive when called upon and has enough NFL skills as a runner, receiver, and blocker to fight for a backup role. Okay, I'm fine with that with a, with an undrafted free agent. Yeah. I mean, especially because I think that running back room is tough. I think he's probably going to be a practice squad guy if I had to guess. Yeah. But I think I think he's one of those guys you could develop because, I mean, our running back room, we're probably going to carry three running backs if I had to guess. It'd probably be Chubb, Kareem, and uh, Dearness Johnson. And, you know, I'll tell you, the great thing that I love about the potential with the Browns this year is when's the last time that the Browns that we felt like, you know, if if – anything happens to your number one running back, you're done, you know? So yeah. now it's like we, we've we got guys, you know, if Chubb gets the bulk of the carries like we know he's going to do, if anything would occur and, 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 you know, running backs arguably the toughest position to stay healthy at, uh, if anything would occur, you got a guy like Hunt jumping in there. So maybe this Harrion kid is used a lot. Maybe he's not used much at all, but uh, we're – it's pretty sweet that we have some depth there. Yeah. I think overall, this is one of the best drafts I can remember in recent memory. Um, I was a little worried going into it that Andrew Barry was going to be more kind of like how uh, Sashi was his first year and lean too heavily on spark and all these other analytics things. But I wonder if Paul D Podesta having more time in the league now and more time to build his data sets and mm. things. Yeah. I wonder if he's starting to, 
maybe build up a better database that he can use. And uh, it also sort of leads me back when Barry wasn't with us, he was under Howie Roseman out in Philadelphia. Mm. And Howie Roseman is one of those guys that's very well renowned for using analytics, but also still being a traditional football guy. Yeah. And so I feel like Andrew Barry is kind of like one of those where he's a best of both worlds guy. He's brought up on the football side, but he's also, you know, a Harvard computer science guy. So, I mean, maybe we hit it out of the park here with the, the comp. Maybe we hit the perfect storm here. I mean, I kind of feel that way right now. Uh, I love it too, Zach. I think, I think there's the potential of that. And I'm, um, it, it does kind of – you see that he went with some folks this year that that did do some really – it's not just analytics stuff. It was uh, guys that really, when you watch the tape, man, you said, that's a dominant player. Delta yeah, I mean – Championship game. Yeah, I mean, I like the pipelines we're looking at. I like – I felt like this year, uh, just with it being di- virtual and the players not being able to get – or them not being able to get as much hands-on players and stuff – you saw a lot of more people picked from bigger schools just because if you're not able to go work somebody out and see what they're all about in person, it's easier to default to those higher competition areas. But then you look like our first three picks, you know, we're all big school guys, but after that we started picking them. Um, so some, something made some sort of matrix or something we're using is working. No doubt. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I would pay money to just go in and just pick Andrew Barry's brain and just be like, so what was your like, what was your justification here? Like, I'm so interested in the analytics side of stuff because I feel like football is so afraid of it. But, you know, what? you could also argue, Zach, that, um, you know what? He didn't reach. No. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Delpit. I mean, who else is he going to take there at that spot deep in yeah. the second? You know, he didn't reach at all. He was smart, and he was and, – and this kind of stands out to me. It You know, you see his press conferencing. He's a calm dude. Yeah. And he, he's got he, – intellectually, he knows what he wants to get, and he and he's calm about things. He, he probably has a dozen backup plans if one doesn't go right. But I don't – you could say that he, he didn't really reach on any pick. No. You know, Jordan Elliott – PFF, what he like number twenty four guy or something? Their top twenty five. Yeah, yeah. You know? So like while they were while they were reaches for traditional football guys, right? For uh, nincompoops that get paid to talk about the game, like uh, <laughs> Mel Kiper Jr. Uh, Mel's like, this makes no sense. I can't believe the Browns are doing that. And it's like, be quiet, Baltimore Homer. Move on. And how um, can you say that? <laughs> I, I love it. And how can you say that Phillips is a reach? When he when he has 113 tackles and leads the national championship team in tackles, absolutely. I mean, get him in the what fourth round? Yeah, I mean, it's just I think I think we knocked it out of the park. Um, the only reason I did that B plus is just because I said I want to see how Wills develops. I mean, if Wills doesn't switch well to the left side, okay, cool. You've got a stud right tackle for the future. If well, only we hadn't just spent a bunch of money on one free agency. Hey, my brother, yeah, that is ominous though. And I, <laughs> I and I agree when you mention your your reasons for your B plus, uh, that's a bad portent. That's an ominous sign because you're right. And I am sort of in my, you know, we always joke that we we love our Browns, so we get go all in, and I'm all in. But you know that is one bad portent that we have to have Wills be great and be a, a plug in on the left side. So I, I think you. You know, you're being calm about it for once. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, well, to completely throw a wrench into that, 
Uh, let's wrap up here with um, a quote. Did you see the quote from um, our, our offensive coordinator this morning? No. Or, no, last night. Um, okay. So Jake, Jake Trotter has a quote from our offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt. Oh. He noted that quarterback Baker Mayfield has been jumping into meetings. He's not even required to join. He's been in on wide receiver meetings, running back meetings, any offensive meeting he can. Van Pelt has praised his leadership, focus, and commitment Baker is showing, even virtually. Let's go. That is that's huge to me. I mean, that is huge. I mean, um, I I just think like I mean, somebody joked that you know that's the uh, digital version of somebody showing up to training camp in the best shape of their career. But, uh, <laughs> but I think I think it's a great thing, and I think yeah. it's showing that maybe he's grown up a little bit. And he realized that he messed up last year. Yeah, I, that last year, Zach. I mean. I know. And, you know, with your traumatic knee injury, coaching football, run down the sideline. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so you had to fight through such tough stuff last year, but you and I both know, I can't, um, I can't remember even the Owen 16 year, a more painful Brown season. And I've been rooting all my life than last year. Uh, what a horrible season. And Baker, Sometimes some of those picks, when we would just give it back to the other team after the yep, defense yep. made a play, it was like, what What are you doing? That's not the Baker Mayfield we all loved at Oklahoma, leading them down the field against Ohio State, planting a flag. Uh, that's not the guy we saw his rookie year. Nope. I think last year, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it. Last year, the maiden problem, in my opinion – is that he was too comfortable. I mean, he thought he could do whatever the heck he wanted because he was buddies with Freddie, and Freddie changed the offense. Like, Baker knew, like, he studied hard in that Todd Haley offense. I mean, we have to look at his rookie year was Todd Haley's offense. It was just Freddie calling from it. When Freddie started doing his own thing and they tried to combine it with Munkin, I think he was just getting inconsistent coaching all around the board, and I think it hurt him. And I think he was throwing it into windows where players were supposed to be and maybe Jarvis or Baker yeah. were free-forming or ad-libbing a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make excuses for him because, I mean, he clearly ha he clearly struggled last year, and there were a lot of reasons why. But right. I think I think he's doing everything to get his body right, his mind right, and come back this year stronger than ever. I mean. Yeah, I, I can see your point there, and I don't disagree. Um, I think if – if there was some, you know, in your mind, and this is like the old Brady thing, uh, they knew exactly, Brady, you know, with practice reps to know exactly what you're going to do on game yep. day. Yep. And, and, you know, and if there's a lot of doubt, you know, I love it. And you pointed this out before, but it's like when they come into game day and then they were scripted all stuff, but then kitchens doesn't even do stuff they worked on. He goes right. I mean, if you, if you look at when they scripted those plays, those plays that were scripted, we'd go down and score, and they were great. Right. But then they just fell apart after that. And then they said that sometimes Kitchens would call a ton of stuff that they hadn't even worked on that wasn't yeah. even part of the game plan. Which which doesn't surprise me. I mean, there were a lot of problems. I mean, but that gives us a ton of stuff to talk about next time. Um, and then I think we'll, we'll tease a segment. Uh, maybe next segment, Matt, we'll talk. Um, I was thinking about this. Next segment, maybe we'll talk about, or next time we record, we'll talk about uh, ranking the quarterbacks of the AFC North. Oh, okay. Maybe you come up with a ranking. I come up with a ranking. We'll justify it. Maybe we'll get a little bit of debate going. All right. Well, we know who 
who number one's going to be, but uh, I guess we'll leave, we'll leave some doubt about number two. Yep. Um, after we took, go off, though, let's talk for a couple of minutes after we quit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but so I think we'll wrap up today's episode there. Um, with everything going on in the world, guys, just remember, be kind to each other. Um, I mean, I mean, there's so much craziness going on in the world. Just, just be kind to each other. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, there's one of my favorite people that I listen to, um, uh, podcast slash video production that he does. Um, you know, he just says, remember to love each other. And I mean, that's really important right now with everything going on. I mean, I know we don't have that many listeners, but just be kind to each other guys and try to listen, listen to what people are saying. Um, no doubt about it. And, um, and you know, outside world is one thing too, but having some more indoor times at times, love the people in your house as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. It was a pleasure. Take care, everybody. Uh, with that, it brings us to the end of today's episode. We'd like to thank, you know, the Browns for giving us something to talk about. We'd also like to thank our uh, wonderful wives who tolerate our insanity and our obsessive Browns fandom, even if they are on the wrong side of the rivalry. Thank you guys. And we'll see you all next time.